Chapter 12 of Shmuel Bet is a continuation of the story of David and Bathsheba. The previous chapter began with David staying home from the war. And during the course of the previous chapter, David sleeps in the daytime, wakes up at even. We ate Erev, sees Bathsheba bathing, sleeps with Bathsheba, sends her back home. And then the complication. The complication is that she sends to him the message, Hara Anochi, I am pregnant. And that's a complication on two levels. Obviously, it's a complication on the personal level. But it's also a complication on the political level because that child born to Bathsheba is a potential next king. The line of succession is not yet determined. God said to David in chapter 7, there will be a successor to you. Your kingship will be established through your successor. But God did not tell David who that successor is. One of your children. And now we have a child who potentially could be the king, but whose mother is married to somebody else. And that's not something kings want. They like clear lines of succession. So David made the attempt in chapter 11 to call Uriah from the battlefield under the pretext of trying to find out about the war, a war, as we have seen, that David himself begins, but does not seem to participate in, and a war that David seems to have little interest in. So Uriah comes, gives his report, and then David says, go back home. The thinking of David, of course, was if Uriah goes back home to his wife, nobody will ever know who the true father of that child is, and it will be presumed to be Uriah, And that will solve David's problem. David prefers to solve problems without violence. But that doesn't work because Uriah refuses to go home. He refuses to go home the first time David orders him to go home. He refuses to go home on the following day when David gets him drunk. And Uriah refuses to go even as drunk. And Uriah's reason that he states, how could I go back to my house as Uriah? if the Ark of God and my fellow soldiers are in the field. So Uriah refuses to go. The fact that he refuses, even when he's drunk, suggests, in my opinion, that it's not that Uriah refuses to go and is necessarily aware of what David has done. There are those that have argued, Mayor Sternberg was the first to put this out, and it seems to have been embraced by many interpreters, modern interpreters of the book of Samuel, that you can read it plausibly either way. Uriah does not know he's naive. Uriah does know, but refuses to give David the satisfaction of solving David's problem. In my view, those two readings, while the second reading is not impossible, it's implausible, and is much weaker than the first reading. And one of the reasons I say that is because Even when he's drunk, he doesn't go back. But beyond that, and this is a very important point, there is no actual evidence that he knows. But apart from that, it's not of the interest of the book to have him know. Uriah, Uriah, the light of God. He's very straightforward. He says what he means. In contrast to David, (coughs) who operates in the shadows. The story takes place, Benhar, Bayim, Liet Erev, 
at the time when day and night, the day moves into the night, time of shadows, and David attempts in chapter 11 a grand cover-up of what he has done. When Uri refuses the second time to go back to his wife, then David hands Uri a letter, which he's to bring to his general, Yoav. The pretext, again, is that it's some very important military matter, no doubt a sealed letter. But the letter basically can be reduced to two words, kill me. So Uriah carries his own death warrant into the battle. Yoav kills him. But in killing Uriah, or having him killed, others die as well, presumably to cover it up. And then Yoav sends a messenger back to David, essentially informing David what has happened. And David's response is rather shocking. David says, well, that's the way war is. The sword eats this way and that way. Collateral damage. And uh, then David marries Bathsheba. And they have a child. And from David's perspective, the problem has been solved. But the chapter ends with the words, The matter that David had done was evil in the eyes of God. In our chapter, begins with the prophet being sent to David. The prophet is Natan HaNavi. David. We have encountered Natan in chapter 7. He was the one David consulted with when David had the thought of building God's temple. Natan initially said, Great idea, God is with you. And then God said to Natan, Go back to David and tell him, God is not with David in this matter. You are not to build my temple. Natan delivers the message. And here, Natan comes to David. So he's represented in chapter 7 as a friend of David. He's a prophet, but he's also a friend of David. And here, apparently, he has a prepared speech. The prepared speech, Koamar Hashem, thus says the Lord, which is a typical introduction to a prepared prophecy, that's in verse number 7. But before you get to verse number 7, we have the first six verses, when Natan goes to David and presents before David a case. We have to remember that the king, one of the roles of the king, as described in the book of Samuel, back in chapter 8, is Ushvatanu Malkenu, the king shall judge us. The administration of justice. Remember back in chapter uh, chapter 8 of 2 Samuel, of our book, David said, David was doing righteousness and justice for all the people. So he approaches the king with a question. The question, of course, is a parable, and a famous one. And Natan says to David, There were two men in one city. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man had many flocks. The poor, poor person had none. One little you, a little lamb that he purchased. He sustained her. And she grew up together with him and his children together. She ate of his bread. She drank from his cup. She slept in his bosom. She was like a daughter. That, those are the people involved in this story. And then the prophet continues, Vayavo came to the rich man. 
Vayachmor lakachem mitzono mibkaro lasot loreach abaro. But the rich man had compassion, vayachmor, to prepare, means to kill the animal, to prepare it for the guests who had come to him. Vayikachet kivsato isha rosh. So he took the little you of the poor man. Vayasehu haish haba'elav. And he prepared this lamb, means he slaughtered the animal, and prepared a meal for the man who had come to him. That's the question. What should be the rule? What is the law in such a case? We would say the law in such a case is it's a case of theft. And you pay for the animal that you stole. In fact, in the Torah, there's a penalty. You pay four times for the lamb and five times for the, uh, for the cow. So David's response is interesting. David became very angry at this man. And he said to Nathan the prophet, I swear by God, the person who did this deserves to die. And pay fourfold for the lamb. Because he did this thing. And he had no compassion. In the story it was that he had compassion. He wanted to spare his own. This is not a man who has compassion, says David. This is a ruthless man. He takes the one lamb of the poor person. There's so much to say about the parable. Let's make a couple of observations. First of all, let's start with the fact that there's a parable. This is not the first time in this book, the book of Samuel, that the prophet has come to the institutional leader to tell the institutional leader that he has sinned, in fact, to tell him that he's out. It happened with Awi the priest. Two different prophets went to Awi the priest. The second was Samuel, in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel. And then Samuel again, to the leader who replaces the priesthood, which is King Saul, in chapter 15. In each of those cases, says very clearly, you are no longer going to lead. Your institution will fail, will fall. There's no parables. But here in chapter 12, the prophet, who has a prepared speech, he's about to deliver a prepared speech, but he starts with a parable. Whether God instructed him to do so or was his own idea, that's a good question. But what the parable discloses, and that's very important, is the contrast between what David understands to be true and how David behaves when it comes to David personally. David doesn't just render a judgment over here. David gets very angry. This person has no compassion. This is a ruthless human being. He sees it clearly. What he doesn't see is that it is himself. The prophet says to David, you are this person. So that's the tragedy here. In the case of Saul, one gets the impression that he really didn't grasp fully what was wrong. With Ailey, he doesn't truly condemn his children. He doesn't truly criticize them. He criticizes in a mild way, in a sweet way. doesn't really get it. David has the ability to understand perfectly. Therein lies the tragedy. Interesting to note, among many other things, that in this story... We have the word vayachmo, to have pity, compassion, to spare. And we have the many flocks. 
And what the text does, it brings us back to the story of King Saul. With King Saul, he has, he's told not to have compassion on Amalek, but Saul and the people had compassion and spared the flocks, the flocks of Amalek, the better flocks of Amalek, the weak ones they destroy, but the good ones they keep. So the text draws a parallel between the story of David and Bathsheba on one hand, his great sin, and the great sin of Saul. But it's interesting, in a sense, they're the opposite. Because in the case of Saul, the sin is the one who has too much compassion, one might say, misplaced compassion, which is a grievous sin. But the sin over here, as David says it himself, Allah shalom this one has no compassion. Whom do we like better? The one who has misplaced compassion? Compassion on the wrong people? Or the one who has no compassion at all? Clearly, the one who has no compassion at all is much more problematic. So the text presents David's sin in a very stark way. And as the prophet says, you are the man. How David will respond is one of the keys of chapter 12 and the key to David's kingship.